On episode 493 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek and discuss their book, The Plant-Based Athlete, a game-changing approach to peak performance. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 493. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. I'm your host, Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with a specialization in corrective exercise and fitness nutrition. Let me be your coach as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Haka Life Nutrition, the maker of GLX3. I am really glad to have Haka Life Nutrition as a sponsor. Omega-3 is one of the few supplements I take regularly. But even with years of experience and having interviewed hundreds of experts in the health and fitness field, I have struggled to find a great solution until now. We all know farm-raised meat doesn't give us the right balance of omega-3 to omega-6. And that omega-3 helps reduce inflammation, which reduces joint pain and is heart healthy. Getting enough omega-3 isn't as straightforward as it should be. From the mercury in the fish to poor production controls, it's really hard to find a high-quality product that gives you what you're after. That is until GLX-3. Made from green-lipped mussels from New Zealand, this is the only natural source of ETA. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the full name. This version of omega-3 is particularly effective at reducing inflammation and therefore reducing joint pain. That's why my wife is taking it now. I take it for heart health. Go to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and use the discount code 40 plus to get a buy one, get one free deal on your first order, which gives you a two-month starter supply. GLX-3 is my go-to omega-3 supplement going forward. It can be yours too by going to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and be sure to use the discount code 40 plus for the BOGO deal. Hey, Raz. Hey, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're um, getting close to getting Lula's uh, wrapped up and open, uh, although we won't really open open until probably October, mm-hmm. but at least the the work part will be done. The place will be cleaned. It'll be ready. and then. That just means, yeah, not as much dust. <laughs> Yay, that's so exciting. Yeah, and then we'll have our little our little owner suite area down there. So a little more space for us because we've been staying in one of the rooms. So it's just a room and a bathroom. So, you know, probably less than, I don't know, less than maybe 200 square foot, you know, just a standard hotel room with a bathroom. Oh, boy. And so we'll be moving into a little suite uh, that we'll have downstairs. So that'll be nice. And then yeah. going to fence in the... It's basically concrete because we don't really have a yard, but fence in the area around the back. So the dogs have kind of area they can roam around and run and uh, not feel so stuck. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, so it'll be cool. And then that'll be separate from where the guests would stay. So oh, I have our exciting. space, they'll have their space. And Wonderful. Can't wait to see it. I have to come down and visit you sometime. Yeah, you need to. You and Mike. You can bring Mike. Uh, you, you, you. <laughs> Thanks. I don't travel well. I need a travel companion. <laughs> All right. So you ran a long, long race. I did. 53 yeah. miles. It was, yeah. Ran a little long. <laughs> it was 
was the best experience. Definitely a huge challenge, but so very rewarding. It's uh, surreal. I, I still am kind of on cloud nine, actually. Well, good. Then that means yeah. your legs aren't hurting nearly as bad as mine were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I felt yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago in when we went into, you know, recovering from injury and illness. And, mm-hmm. you know, while in a sense, you uh, didn't injure yourself at all. Right. And there's not right. really an injury. I mean, an illness mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as we would go, but this was, this is a situation where you're doing post rehab, post, um, healing, you're taking it easy, uh, if you yes. will, but you're not stopping. Cause I saw you right. also did a 5k. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't sit still for very long. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I did a, I did a recovery run 5k the next day. So, I mean, this, it's not, it's not unheard of. It's just, you probably felt you didn't have the spring in your legs that you would normally have. And right. you're right. working on doing some things to recover that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So right after we finished the run, it was about two in the morning because we started at noon. We finished um, in just shy of 14 hours. So it was about two in the morning or so. And um, on the way home, we um, I drank a lot of water and finished my hydration that uh, electrolytes that I had in my my pouch and um, finished up a snack I was working on. And um, when I got back, drank a little bit more and went to bed. And the next day, um, we went to uh, do some more sightseeing. Uh, we took some friends to a special part of Michigan up at Mackinac Island. And so we had a short drive to get there and we walked a lot around the fort and we did a little bit of sightseeing on the way home. So a little bit of driving, a little bit of walking and just kind of kept loose that way. And it that felt really good. So we did that for about two days actually after the run and continued with a lot of hydration and a lot of good protein, healthy protein. Well, good. So Mm -hmm. what's, what's next for (laughs) Rachel Everett? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what people should be doing after a big race like this is what I call a reverse taper. So, um, since I didn't have too much carnage, um, my legs were not too shredded after that race. Um, I'm in pretty good shape. So I'm going to do a lot of walking and a little bit of running. And so it's exactly what it is, a reverse taper. So I might aim for maybe 10 or 12 miles this week and maybe 15 the next and maybe 20 the next and just kind of ease my way back into running. It'll be an every other day kind of thing. I won't be running every day. I'll be walking a lot in between. So it's just easing back into um, a basic foundation of running again. Okay. And, uh, your next long race. It could be another 50 miler. <laughs> Are you hooked? <laughs> no, no, I do have a 50 K so I'll be running a little over 30 miles in October. And then I might be planning another 50 miler or maybe a hundred K, which is a 60 miler. So we'll yeah. see. We'll yeah, see what 50, I can squeeze in. Yeah. 50, a 50 K works out to a little more than uh 31 miles and a, mm-hmm. 100 uh, K works out to a little more than 62 miles. So. Yep. And then you never know what the race decides to throw at you. So with this 50 miler, we actually started um, at the 48 mile mark because it's a hundred mile course. So we started at mile 48, which anybody can math that out. You know, we're going to have two extra miles <laughs> to get to the hundred mile finish line. So yeah, races like to do tricky little things like that. So yep, be aware. Oh. Well, you had fun, right? <laughs> it was, it was, 
a tough day, but a wonderful day and, and a lot of fun too. It was great to run with my good friend, Krista and my other wonderful friend, uh, Patrick, he was ahead of us, but he did great too. And it was just nice to see all these people doing amazing things. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's get Matt and, um, Robert on the phone. Sure. Matt Frazier is the founder of No Meat Athlete and the author of the best-selling self-published No Meat Athlete cookbook. He is a marathoner and ultra runner from Baltimore whose life as an endurance athlete changed when he found that he could run longer and faster on a vegetarian diet. Robert Cheek is an American bodybuilder, motivational speaker, and author. With no further ado, here's Matt and Robert. Matt, Robert, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Alan. Looking forward to talking. Thank you, Alan. You know, I've I've been in the health and fitness field for over six years, and it's it's been fairly common to hear on the endurance athlete side where many, many, many of them are going plant based. It's a it's almost a, a, as I said earlier, kit hand and glove thing that they 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 feel better, their inflammation's lower, and they perform really, really well. A lot of plant based athletes are some of the best uh, endurance athletes on the planet. Uh, bar none. And you profiled so many of them. But I think what was really cool as I got into the book is you didn't just stop there. It's like, okay, yes, the, this is this is great nutrition for the endurance athlete, even the extreme endurance athlete. But you went into bodybuilding and, and you went into Olympic sports and you even threw in a pro wrestler, um, which if you watch them, they're very athletic. They've got to do some pretty crazy things and yeah. hold and hold a lot of muscle mass. So, exactly. <laughs> you know, the plant-based diet has come a long way in that we we now understand from a human performance perspective that it is a nutritional strategy that works very, very well for a lot of people. Can you talk a little bit about why plant-based might be the route you want to go if you're looking to improve your athletic performance across the board? Yeah. Thanks, Alan. That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because I, I interviewed 60 world-class athletes just for this book, The Plant-Based Athlete. And one of the things that, that I came across was that there was a common theme here. All of these different people came from, almost all of them came from an omnivorous uh, eating pattern before. A few of them were actually vegans since birth, which is another topic we'll get into because some are you know, Olympic athletes as a result. But the fact is, dozens and dozens and dozens of athletes all shared the same thing, that they saw their energy go up and they saw their recovery get better. They saw a decrease in inflammation and they sped up their recovery process with which improved their performance. So whether it was a world champion boxer, an Olympic skier, a, a, a world-class powerlifter, or a, a marathon you know, record holder, they experience the same things. And one of the things that's really, really exciting is that I come from a bodybuilding background. Matt comes from a, a long distance and ultra running background. We have different body types, different sports. And what we found was that the same diet, the plant-based diet, high in complex carbohydrates with modest amounts of, of proteins and fats from good quality whole food sources, supply the nutrition required, whether you're a bodybuilder or an endurance athlete, or whether you are a, a NHL hockey player or NFL football player or NBA star like Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan and JaVale McGee and, you know, go down the list, or you're a, an Olympic figure skater. Because a plant-based diet gives you, naturally gives you energy. It's a very high energy diet. It is easy on digestion. It's low calorie, but high nutrition. So high nutrient to calorie ratio. 
and it is super anti-inflammatory and you're not eating pro-inflammatory foods. So you reduce inflammation, you recover faster, you improve, your endurance gets better, your muscle soreness often gets reduced and you just continue on. And, and the, one of the great byproducts of that is, is longevity. You know, some of the athletes in the book are in their 50s, almost 60 and competing at world record pace. Like Rip Esselstyn set a world record at age 59, I believe, in the 200 meter backstroke and swimming. John Joseph is competing right now, like, like maybe literally next weekend or within weeks at another Ironman triathlon, full Ironman distance at age 59, almost 60. Fiona Oaks uh, has uh, multiple Guinness Book World Records in, in marathons, and she wasn't even supposed to run in the first place because she was born without a kneecap and, and her right leg and was not even supposed to run and has set multiple records. And she's in her 50s. Christine Vardaros in her 50s. So many athletes are 40 plus and still performing at a world-class level. And I'll have to be honest with you, Alan, to me, you know, now in my forties, that was one of the most exciting things for me to read about, to connect really emotionally with Rich Roll, Scott Jurek, Brendan Brazier, John Joseph, Rip Esselstyn, Christine Varteros, and Fiona Oaks, just to name some of them. Um, it's just so inspiring to me that the benefits of a plant-based diet have contributed to incredible longevity in addition to athletic success, whether it's strength, endurance, power, whatever your sport is, the benefits are there to be had. Yeah. And, and we've always thought of those. It's so funny. We've always thought of those as three completely separate things. You train very specifically for your sport. And, you know, so you're, you're not a power lifter out there doing, you know, 30 mile distance runs on the weekend, just to, you know, get your miles in, uh, you train very specific for your sport. And so we've always just assumed, okay, well, you're going to have to eat very specific to your sport. And the eating now is, as I'm kind of wrapping my mind around the book and, and everything that was in it was we're looking to lower inflation in the body and we're looking to give it the nutrition that it needs to heal well. And with it healing well and not having the inflammation, you're therefore able to train harder and longer you recover better and you perform better. And not to mention the longevity benefit, right? Like that's, yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned inflammation, you mentioned healing, healing your body, healing your cells. That's, that's what preserves you as you get older too. So it's, to me, it's, it's, it's amazing that you, know, you have these three different sport disciplines and the longevity benefit all from the same thing. And in fact, it's, it seems that it's the same exact mechanism, really. It's recovering faster and it's having lots of nutrients in relatively few calories compared to other diets. And it, it makes it easy on your body. Uh, you know, and, and one of the things it's, it's funny. Cause I, if I said the word vegan or vegetarian to somebody, they immediately know what it is. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going into the produce section when I walk in the grocery store. Um, <laughs> they, just, they just know they're going to be at the farmer's market. They're going to be in the produce section at their grocery store. And so in, in a sense, I think those two diets more than most of the others, uh, maybe paleo, but those diets more than anything else kind of drive you to better food quality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's all there is. I mean, I've, I've probably spent 80, 90% of my time in the, in the produce section, you know, the, the number of packaged foods I bought that actually are in it, a box is, is so few now it's, it's, you know, maybe pasta, sometimes I buy things in cans, but even, even that you get from the bulk food. So yeah, that's, that's one of the great, like kind of thing. It's been like a journey. This has been, I've been on this for 12 years now. And, and every year I get a little bit better at, at eating more and more real whole foods and less and less profit processed foods. You don't need to be plant-based to do that. Like you said, you could be eating a different diet. Paleo will sort of encourage 
that move towards very whole foods. And in the book, The Plant-Based Athlete, in fact, we write uh, a couple of pages where we talk about how much paleos and plant-based have in common. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the weirdos out of, a, out of a big group of people. The ones who insist on eating whole foods, not from packages, don't eat dairy. We disagree on the meat, but you know, they're not, they're more alike than they are different. So yeah, yeah. lots of diets can push you down that road. And, and that certainly plant-based diet does, does do that for you. Yeah. And, and I've interviewed now well over, uh, 300 people for this podcast. And it, it's kind of, that's the thing that when you say, why is your diet better? Well, it's whole food. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's actually why it's better in most cases. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Haka Life Nutrition, the maker of GLX-3. You know the benefit of omega-3, reduced inflammation, which helps with joint pain and heart health. And you know you're probably not getting enough from your diet. But then you read about the mercury in fish or how the fish oil supplement you bought at Costco or Walmart might be oxidized and rancid. Not good. Then you look into a plant-based solution and find it isn't very bioavailable, or creel oil, which is much more expensive and isn't really sustainable. GLX-3 is very different. It's from sustainably farmed, green-lipped mussels in New Zealand. The 17 omega-3s found in green-lipped mussels include ETA, which is not found in any fish oil. What is ETA? Not to bore you with the science, but it has been shown to be very effective at reducing inflammation and pain. Haka Life Nutrition has paired this oil with New Zealand olive oil and vitamin E to make a very unique omega-3 supplement. I think it's brilliant. Mussels are at the bottom of the food chain and have a short lifespan, so they aren't as susceptible to mercury contamination. And they don't starve out other species when they're farmed in open water. Haka Life Nutrition is meticulous about their sourcing and encapsulation of GLX-3. Each bottle is traceable all the way back to the place, date, and time of harvesting to ensure you get the best quality omega-3 product on the market. They offer a full 90-day guarantee. Go to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and use the discount code 40 plus to get a buy one, get one free deal on your first order, which gives you a two-month starter supply. GLX-3 is my go-to omega-3 supplement going forward. It can be yours too by going to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and be sure to use the discount code 40 plus for the BOGO deal. You know, one of the things I think someone's going to be concerned about is they go over, okay, and they, they see the kale and that that scores very well uh, as a high nutrition low uh, calorie density food, you know, of course, then there's cruciferous vegetables, all the leafy greens, all of that. They're always going to wonder, okay, well, am I getting enough protein? Now, I know myself that there's protein in, in all of that and in various ways, and you can pair it together and get all of the amino acids you need. But can we talk just a few minutes about why a plant-based diet and how a plant-based diet can provide the protein needs, not just for a normal person walking down the street, but we're talking professional bodybuilders that are trying to put on, you know, uh, 10, 20 pounds a year as they're bulking up and becoming these, these super, these great athletes that you see on the stage, how can they get their protein and do that? How does that work? Yeah. Alan, well, first it starts with the fact that, uh, plants have all the essential amino acids that we need. Uh, the essential, the amino acids are the building blocks of protein. You eat a variety of food. You're going to get 
the amount of amino acids you need and the amount of protein you need if you consume enough calories based on your real calorie needs. That's a big thing, right? So if you're a figure skater weighing 105 pounds, you're going to have different protein needs than a powerlifter who is 240 pounds. And so you have to understand, and I like that we talked about that a few minutes ago, Alan, is that it's it's the same, it's essentially the same diet for all all sports, it's just a different calorie intake and maybe a slightly different macronutrient breakdown, a little more protein here, a little more fat here, a little more carbohydrate here, depending on the type of sport, but it's the same diet. It's still sweet potatoes and blueberries and lentils and oats and potatoes and kale, like you mentioned, and walnuts and all, it's all the same foods. It's just getting the right quantities. And so for protein, yeah, Eat, you can eat more foods that are considered more protein rich, like nuts and nut butters and uh, tofu and other soy foods and legumes tend to be a little bit higher in protein, though still very much a carbohydrate food, uh, beans and, and lentils and such, and, uh, and some leafy green vegetables. But there's also some tricks you can do. I mean, everybody knows in different types of athletics that you can, you can do things like smoothies, right? You can put nut butters and smoothies. You can put a bunch of greens in there. You can even, believe it or not, we, and we mentioned in the book, you can even put like uh, tofu or white beans in smoothies because you're adding uh, raspberries or blueberries or peanut butter and chocolate. And you're making, you're giving it a flavor that is enjoyable and palatable while it's packed full of like, you know, imagine if you just put it in a bunch of pumpkin seeds or cashews or, you know, what, whatever nuts and seeds are your favorite, or you use a powder, a powder, you know, supplement if you want, but you can do it totally whole foods. And so a, a smoothie is a great way to add extra protein. If you like, you can also just make a conscious effort. So let's say you're having oatmeal. Well, why not put some walnuts on it or, or, or something else that's, you know, protein rich, you know, with your oatmeal, uh, if you're having a salad, why not put garbanzo beans all over it? you know, in addition to the leafy greens and the peppers and the mushrooms and, you know, whatever else you have in your salad, why not add some of those things? One thing I like to do, even just with a, a, a rice and vegetable dish is add cashews on top, um, add, add peanuts on top sometimes, other nuts. And so you can, you can make this conscious effort to get a little more protein here and there in very tasty, very accessible. I mean, a peanut butter sandwich is as simple as it gets, right? Uh, it's, it's not, it's not difficult. And one of the messages I really like to uh, make as clear as possible is that if you know what your calorie needs are, and you can use the Harris-Benedict calculator, Harris-Benedict equation to figure that out and use chronometer or MyFitnessPal to determine what your intake actually is. If you meet your calorie needs, you are almost absolutely sure to reach your protein needs because nobody, not a single person you know, eats only celery or only grapefruit or only oranges during the day. We all eat a variety of stuff. We all eat to some, some form of variety, maybe a little bit of legumes here, a little bit of grains, a little bit of fruits and vegetables and nuts, seeds, or uh, omnivores, you know, some meat or dairy, whatever. We all eat a variety and that's how you get the amino acids. And then your body pools all those amino acids and uses them throughout the day. You don't need to have like, uh, you know, complete protein in a single, in a single meal. And because we don't do anything in a single meal, you don't reach all your nutrient requirements in a single meal. You don't, you don't reach your hydration requirements in a single meal or your fiber intake in a single meal. Very, very rarely. It's the accumulation of everything that we consume throughout the day and on an ongoing basis, on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And so that is how you reach your, your, your protein needs by having adequate calories based on what your calorie needs are, finding foods you enjoy, and then eating them on a regular basis and, uh, and seeing the results. 
So if, if someone was training, let's just say for, for one reason or another, uh, they do find that, um, that they're, they're doing this heavy training, they're trying to accomplish something special, and, and they're not quite getting there. Would protein be one of the things that they should maybe take a look at just to make sure that they are, are hitting that? Or do you, you just really feel if they're hitting their calorie needs, it's, it's done? Yeah, you could you could take a, cl- a little bit of close look at protein, but I really don't think it's as big of a factor as people think. I think it's the total calories, and also you have to look at the other the other aspects or baggage that comes with any kind of macronutrient or, or foods that focus on a singular macronutrient. And so, what you can find is the benefits actually of complex carbohydrates or an increase of complex carbohydrate intake is you might find more anti-inflammatory properties there. You might find uh, foods that help with aiding in recovery there. You can focus more on things like turmeric and ginger and and tart cherry juice and and beets and nitric oxide rich leafy greens, and you can find some increased circulation and increased blood flow and increased uh, nutrition to cells throughout the body. Uh, so there's other things besides just that one macronutrient that I think are uh, are worth considering, even when you are that bodybuilder or powerlifter who's looking for that, just that little edge. I really don't think a few extra grams of protein is the key. I think you have to look at it holistically in its totality. And you, you look at the utility of all the other aspects, all the other components of nutrition. And you could even say something as, as simple as this, like, well, if they would have just had a little bit more caffeine, maybe, you know, in supplement form, they would have had more energy to get the lift better, you know, and got stronger and built more muscle. Or if they would have just, you know, used this, um, you know, for anti-inflammatory properties and had reduced soreness, they could have pushed it a little further. So there's, you know, a lot of different ways to look at it. And I, I, I really, after doing this for a quarter century, I, I just don't think it's it's protein alone that needs to be the focal point here. You you, I mean, what if they would have got a little more sleep, you know, rested a little bit better and nutrition can help with that or had better digestion, you know, that, those kind of things. So, uh, and Matt, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, you know, expanding on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the very first thing I would look to is total calories. That's, I, I encounter a lot of people who try plant-based diets and they come back a month later and say, well, you know, I did it for a while, but then I didn't have the same energy. And the thing is that it's so easy. I mean, if you're if you're really thinking about this carefully and you're looking at all the nutrition, the macronutrient numbers, like Robert has suggested, then you're not going to run into this problem. But a lot of people who just dive into something new, uh, this, by the way, is one of the reasons I really like gradually starting something new, and I, that's how I went vegan. It was over the course of four years, actually. Uh, but but people they just remove the animal products and they don't think about replacing it with fairly calorically dense sources because lots and lots of plants are not calorically dense. And that's a great thing for the most part because they have lots of nutrients and relatively few calories, like I mentioned earlier. But if you just replace all the meat and dairy and everything with, with leafy greens, for example, you're not, you, you could drop 30% of your calories from your diet. And, and so like, I think more often, especially for people who are new, that's usually the bigger problem. They just didn't eat enough calories. I've got two young kids who do this. They're both uh, athletes. My son trains, you know, he puts in, I don't know, 20 training sessions a week, it seems like. I mean, he's, he's crazy. And I don't, I just don't think about protein with him. We, we, we eat so many whole foods. Like you mentioned earlier, Alan, like so many vegetables. And I'm, I'm confident that protein is in all of these things. And he eats almost entirely whole foods. So I'm not worried about, you know, the processed foods that have the protein removed, like a bunch of added oils or processed sugar. So, you know, I just don't think about protein. I think about calories. I'm always urging him to eat more calories, but protein is really one of the last things on my mind. It's just, it's about getting the, the fresh stuff that I know is going to help him. The antioxidants, the anti-inflammatory compounds, all these things are going to help him recover for that next workout. And protein is just, just one of many things. Yeah. And, and I think that, again, that was the kind of the takeaway here was that as we, as we look at these things, 
you know, we can fine tune them. And you guys do a great job as you went through the book of looking at, okay, let's, let's look at protein. Let's look at fat. Let's look at carbs. You know, they're in there and just recognizing that we can get all that we need from them and, you know, kind of push this way and that way a little bit to fit our needs. But beyond that, there are some things that as a vegan, uh, we're just not going to get. We're not, you know, we're not going to get the B12 because it's, it's just not in any plant-based food. Um, a lot of uh, folks that uh, go vegan also have some issues with their vitamin D. Um, and there's a few other supplements that you talked about in the book. Uh, and, and I think it might be also worth talking about lysine because that is one of the amino acids that's not as common in plant foods as it is in, in animal-based foods. Can you kind of talk through some of those supplements and, and considerations for those? Yeah, I can uh, take a shot at that. Uh, so, like, so I actually have a supplement company, and I'm only saying this not to advertise, but to make a point that we we make a vegan supplement, and it's actually has seven nutrients in it. And people think, well, you got to get all the, there must be something wrong with your diet if you have to get those seven nutrients. But we made that so that we didn't have to take this full mega dose multivitamin that I was taking before I went plant based, because you know a lot of people do that sort of mindlessly, you just pop a multivitamin to cover all the bases. But I, as I started to think more about food, and, and as we talked about earlier, start gravitating more towards whole foods and thinking more about what I was eating, I realized that I was getting tons and tons of these, these common vitamins because they're in, in so many different fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, grains, beans. Those things are loaded with micronutrients. So I said, I don't, I don't need to be overdosing on all these, and I don't need to be taking mega doses of these vitamins. So we made a more mindful supplement that, that doesn't have all those. It's called complement. Um, and because the idea is like, it's a complement, it's not a supplement. It's, it's something less than that. But the point is like, I think vegans who are, who are eating varied diets uh, probably need to supplement just as a whole, less than someone who's, who's eating a standard American diet you're not going to have tons and tons of areas where you might be running into trouble. Now, there, as you said, there are some things that are actually, you know, like B12, for example, can become a serious problem if you don't supplement it when you're eating a 100% plant-based diet. I'm not at all trying to deny that. And that's why we have this, that's why there's this reputation of, oh, a plant-based diet, you know, must be incomplete or unnatural if you've got to supplement it. For me, I just look at the, the empirical evidence. You look at the long-term studies on people who live the longest without health problems, the longest health span, the best number of active years. And if that's a plant-based diet plus a B12 supplement or a B12 and a few other things supplement, then you know it doesn't matter to me at all whether or not that's quote unquote natural according to someone's theory. I'll, I'll take the diet that helps you live the longest, even if it means I have to take a supplement with it. So uh, that, that's where I come out on it. As far as lysine, you mentioned that one. That's a great point. Um, and that, that is a nice bit of nuance that like you should think about as you think about protein. People know, know that as the limiting amino acid on a plant-based diet. And the idea is that like, you actually don't have to worry about protein at all, as long as you're meeting your lysine needs, because if you're meeting your lysine needs by default, you're going to be getting plenty of other kinds of protein. Uh, but lysine is just one that doesn't show up in all that many plant-based foods. And if you want to supplement with it, if you want to go to take a protein powder, that's a very, very easy solution to make sure you're meeting your lysine needs, but you don't have to do that. You could also go to more of an in-between way where you're take, eating some, say, seitan, which is like a, a wheat gluten that people use to make a lot of meat substitutes out of. I actually love the taste of, of seitan. I know Robert doesn't like it that much. Uh, he said it gives him digestive problems, I think. And a lot of people don't, but a lot of people do. And it's more and more common these days as the, as the meat substitutes are, are showing up all over the place in grocery stores and fast food restaurants and everything. So that's loaded with lysine. So is tofu and tempeh. Those are two also like you know, kind of halfway processed foods. Although I don't really even think of those as processed because they're so nutritious. And then if you wanted to like really be pure about it and say, I'm just not going to take anything processed or, or supplement, you can, you can get it by trying really hard with, with lentils, 
with quinoa, with amaranth. I mean, it's in foods. It's just, you got to be more mindful the more and more you're kind of insisting on the purity of hundred percent whole foods. Yeah. And Matt, you, you said something I think that was really important there is it's, it's, this is also about being mindful. It's about knowing the food that you're putting in your, in your, in your mouth and, and thinking about it, not just eating what's there, you know, actually saying, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to know what I like, but, uh, and I think for a lot of people, we, we tend to eat simple. I, I, I think most people actually do. We probably pick five or six meals and that's, (laughs) that's it. You know, that's 90% of the calories that we're going to get are going to come from just a very small select foods. But I think as a vegan, you really have to be mindful about the selection and the organization just to make sure you're getting the calorie load because it is very easy to say, okay, uh, I'm going to have this big salad uh, and I may throw some beans and nuts on it or something like that, but you still, to get the calories you need, you kind of need to have a plan. And once you have a plan and you know what you like, you guys have broken it down. I I think Robert has his three, his three R's or the threes that, okay, (laughs) for the shopping. And uh, and I think, again, it's just the, the, the better you lay these things out, and you guys do a great job in the book of giving some structure. If someone is considering transitioning to vegetarian or vegan, you give them a very good structure to say, okay, here's how you can structure your meals so you can make sure you're hitting your bases. And again, we're not just talking about everyday vegan, but it works for them. And it works for somebody who's also focused on performance because you don't necessarily want to take a couple seasons off to get your nutrition right. Um, you're doing this on the fly. So uh, do you guys mind talking a little bit about meal planning and then your approach to shopping for food to make sure that you're getting the variety to hit your all your buttons and bases the way you need to? Yeah, Alan, I, I think it's a good... Um, I think it's an interesting thing. You you talk about um, mindset or, or being mindful about it because I think... I think it's a common idea that we've got to have this mindful approach to, uh, you know, plant-based eating. And I think it's, it's obviously good to have a plan, but it's also, you know, I think if we think about it, most people are not super mindful in general. It's that there's a fast food restaurant on the corner that's I'm mm-hmm. craving something oily uh, and, and salty and meaty. And, and I, I want to shake with it as well. And then maybe have some pizza later on, or I want some cheese on this or that. And, you know, and, and, and we could probably be more mindful there, you know, I, you know, with fountain sodas and with standard American diet food. And so I, I don't want to say, you know, across the board, we have to have just, you know, elevated levels of mindfulness with plant-based eating compared to where we're coming from with oh, pizza. Oh, no, no, no. And I didn't mean that at all. What I, what I but, meant was that I think where, where most people approach this way of eating is that one, that a lot of people are doing it for not just selfish reasons of saying, I want to feel better and perform better. And they're actually, they, they have some more uh, emotional ties to how we're handling uh, our meat production and, and, and a whole, you know, eating something with a face concept. And so I think, you know, a lot of people are going at this saying, I want to be a more responsible ethical person. And so I'm going at it for those ethics reasons. And so they're, I think they're already starting from a, I need to be mindful of this. And, and then that kind of balances into a, so now when I go forward, really focusing on the variety and the quality of the food that I'm eating so that I am nourishing my body. And particularly if you're looking at it from a performance perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was just about to get to was that most times, you know, we're not super mindful, you know, plant-based or not, we're just, until we get into performance related aspects, because when you're working so hard for something, 
Alan, like you're working so hard in the gym or running. I mean, you're putting in this effort, this work, and you, you want to get a good return on investment from that, right? You, you want to be rewarded from that. And that's where I was going to say, that's where the mindfulness comes in with, with a plant-based diet, where you want to get the most nutritional bang for your buck. And that's why we have this certain approach. Like I write in the book that you, you've got to list your favorite foods in every category, your, your five favorite fruits, vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, and seeds, because you want to have those readily available. You want to have them for pre-workout, for post-workout, for snacks. And so you make these mindful decisions. Like I'm working so hard athletically and for some people training hours a day, I want to get the most mileage out of my diet as well to support that. And so, and some people just may not be aware of what their favorite f- foods are. Like maybe you, they, they have a couple they go to, like you said, we eat the same kind of five or six meals. And I totally agree with that. But if you could just add a few more things in there, add some seasonal berries, add some seasonal stone fruit, add some, you know, some other seasonal crops, you know, winter squash or whatever the case is and have your staples as well. You know, have your, whether it's brown rice or tempeh or tofu or lentils or black beans or whatever the case is, your oats, have your staples. And then from there, that's where the, 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 very particular or specific or mindfulness approach comes you. And that's one thing that I like to talk about and write about is that if you have your staples there, whether they're they're batch cooking and you have them for the whole week or whatever the case is, you can always call upon that. So when you're craving something, when you're hungry, like sometimes I, I finish workouts that are, you know, two or three hours. If I'm doing weights plus cardio plus sauna or whatever the case is, I come home, man, I am hungry, but I've got to make the most intelligent decision and I can't just say, okay, I want, you know, hurry, order something from the local Thai restaurant, which is going to be loaded with oil and all this stuff, because mm. I've got something already prepared at home that, that I know is going to serve my needs post-workout. It's going to help replenish uh, carbohydrates that were burned through exercise. It's going to help bring in amino acids and repair muscle that was damaged through exercise. It's going to replenish electrolytes lost through sweat and, and then hydration, you know, those lost through sweat. So I actually, I... We, we have an entire section on that. I think Matt and I both agree the mindfulness apart is really, really key. And that's how, how you also get into habit building and, and uh, developing behaviors that, you know, can be something that you can build on. And then, and then it takes the willpower away. Like, like Matt talks about, you know, when you're trying to follow a really sound nutritional approach for your sport, at first there's a lot of willpower, like I, I you know, almost like a burden or a requirement. I have to do this to get this return. And that's for pro athletes and amateur athletes alike, but you do it enough times, you develop these habits and it takes the guesswork out. So I just wanted to make that early point that that I think mindfulness in eating is just not exclusive to plant-based. It's for anybody. And and then it just gets accentuated when you get into the athletic world. Yeah. Because you're really trying to nail it, but you guys, like I said, you put a structure out there and then, you know, Robert, you had that really cool, the R's, you know, so you're going to get three seasonal vegetables and, you know, th- or fr- three seasonal fruits. And then you're going to get the kind of your standard things, your apple, your pear, and your orange, because that's, that's always there. Uh, I think you called them annuals or. Yeah. Like, okay. like a rule of three of yeah. three different rule things, frozen yeah. foods, packaged goods, beverages, things that, you know, it's it just, it's designed to add diversity because diversity is diversity of amino acids. It's diversity of antioxidants diversity of vitamins, vitamins, minerals, and other uh, nutritional components. And that's what it's designed to do. Yeah. And then Matt, you had a whole different approach to shopping. Do you mind going into that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm much more of a recipe maker. I tend to like cooking. Um, so I, I will look up recipes. I will almost never go to the store and just, you know, 
pick out the staples that I'm missing. It's more like I'll make a little bit of a list of what the recipes I'm going to make this week are, and then I'll go get those things. But I do have a framework that I've started to apply over the past probably eight years, begun just eating. Like when I'm, when I'm eating at my best, I find myself falling into this pattern, which is that I will eat a smoothie in the morning, uh, which is you know loaded with, with nuts and seeds, flax seeds, walnuts, especially uh, bananas, berries, frozen berries, which is to me some of the best, most antioxidant rich foods you can have. Um, and sometimes some greens in there as well. So I have a smoothie in the morning. If you don't like that, you can do an oatmeal version of that. Some people just don't like smoothies and, and that's totally fine. You can do almost the same thing, put the same things in your oatmeal. And now you get an extra serving of whole grains as well. For lunch, I'll do a big giant salad with beans on it. Uh, either oil and vinegar for dressing, like an, like a nice extra virgin olive oil or a nut based dressing, which will eliminate the oil entirely, which is one, one less somewhat processed food in your diet. Uh, the beans on there are great. Beans are just such a healthy food that if you can get a big serving of those every day, uh, you know, you absolutely should. And, and putting them on a salad for lunch is one way to kind of ensure that you do. And then finally for dinner time, uh, I always do a template that's a grain, a green, and a bean. And so many of the foods that we're used to eating, uh, turn out to be a grain, a green, and a bean. You can think of, uh, you know, tempeh or tofu tacos, um, or any kind of bean taco, refi beans on a taco. If you have some vegetables on top, you have a grain, a green, and a bean, the grain being the shell, the, the bean being the, the filling, and then you've got your toppings. Um, you know, a stir fry, you've got the rice, you have either beans or tofu if you want that, you've got vegetables on top. So it's very, very easy to make a, a grain, a green, and a bean. Stews, soups, these often take that form. It doesn't have to be this big, mushy, big bowl of vegan sadness that people think of when they think grain, <laughs> green, and bean. Um, and so that, that's simple. Like when I look at the cupboard and I, and I have a bunch of stuff but have not planned a meal, it, like, it's very hard to think of a meal. Like even when you have so many choices, it's hard to like get your mind to focus in on a meal. But if you can apply a little bit of a constraint that says grain, green, bean, what, which of those do I have here and how can I make those do well? Like what, what condiment can I put in there to make, make a style of food or a certain cuisine? That structure works really well for me. And, it, and what it does is enables me to get the seven or 10 most important foods. I mentioned beans, berries, nuts and seeds greens, I, the, the foods that I'm trying to get every single day, they very naturally fit into that framework. So that's the one that I will typically eat when I'm at my healthiest. Yeah. And, and you've made it a little easier for us in that you've put some recipes in the book. So uh, we've got a head start. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And those, those recipes, in fact, many of those were contributed by the athletes themselves that we interviewed, which yeah. I think is so cool. Cause to me, like 10 years ago, when, when Scott Jurek was doing this, he was an ultra endurance athlete. I was a, 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 an aspiring ultra endurance athlete. And I remember like there was a book, Tim Ferriss's four hour body came out and it had a few of Scott Jurek's recipes in it, uh, or his, maybe his grocery list. And then Scott's book came out. And to me, like those recipes were like gold back then. I was like, wow, this is one of the, this is a legend in his sport at my sport. And this is exactly what he eats. And he eats a plant-based diet. Like I do Like, I just, I just could not get enough of having that. So to be able to put 60 recipes in here from elite pro Olympian plant-based athletes, I think that's a really special part of the book. Not to mention the day in the life section at the end where they all 25 of them list exactly what they eat. Like I just did. Yeah. Uh, they, they list how their day looks. And what's interesting about that is there are really very different approaches. Some of them really do focus on the meal planning and the macronutrients and they, they make sure they hit those numbers. Some of them like Dotsie Bausch, Olympic medalist, they just, they just listen to their body. They just, and, and I think, I think as you do this longer and longer, you can, you can get back to the mindfulness thing. You can actually start to just do it naturally without thinking so much about it. Yeah. So it's really neat to see that there are so many ways to make this work. And, and not just work, but work for, for extremely high level performance in sports. Yeah. And so it's not like flipping a switch, but figuring your, figuring your way out, going through yep. it and getting what works for you, finding the foods you like, the food combinations, um, you know, putting those things together in a way that works. And then over time, you know, you, you just 
you make it better, you make it work better for you. And then particularly with performance athletes, they're always tweaking. They're always tweaking, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so, because we got to find that, that half inch, we got to find that, that half a second, we got to, you know, we got to do those things. And, and, and that's the same way with the food. And, and so just taking your time going through it, but the, this book, like I said, gives a really good structure for someone that's looking to go this way, figuring out how to put it together, how to make it matter and do it without harming their performance. In fact, probably most likely going to see performance improvement. They're definitely, if they're moving away from a standard American diet, they're moving away from inflammation. And so the recovery and their pain, that's all going to get better with this, with this way of eating. So, uh, Robert, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? I think you've got to find what your passion is in, in movement, in exercise. And, and it doesn't have to be you know something super hardcore or that something that everyone else is already doing. It could be hiking. It could be taking your dog for a walk. It could be being out in nature. But I think you've got to find what you love to do. And when you find your passion or at least something you're enthusiastic about, you're going to find ways to make it happen. It's, it's less of a burden. It's less of a chore. It's something you look forward to. And I, and I love that you said that because that's one of my you know, signature lines too, is to be healthy, happy, and fit. And I think it starts with, uh, with doing the things, you know, spending the 1,440 minutes we have each day doing what you enjoy. And, and the, you know, the more you can smile, the more you can en- get enjoyment out of your exercise then I think the better. And, uh, and that's what I would encourage everyone to do is to get out there, move, find what you love to do and just keep doing it. Okay. Matt, again, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Great question. So my first one is, I guess, kind of, I'll go from broad to narrow. My, my broad one is take really small steps when you're creating changes. Typically diving in overnight change, flipping a switch is not the best answer. It might seem like it for the first five days while everything's cranking along and your willpower has not been, you know, taxed yet, but it is getting taxed. And you don't know. And then the day is going to come along when your friends are going out to happy hour or whatever it is. And your, your perfect setup that you've been, this fantasy you've been living, that everything has changed and you're now different. That will come crashing down because it, that's what happens. That's, that's how, what happens with willpower. When it, when it goes, it goes. And then because you've lost your perfectionist fantasy, you, you now think, well, I'm done. I, I, now, now it's not worth even having this next meal healthy because I already messed up. So that's, I took four years to go from omnivorous to vegan. Nobody has to take that long. But I tend to think that if you take a month to do it, you give yourself maybe a week like where you're just having your breakfast as plant-based, uh, another week where it's now breakfast and lunch, and so on. Or go, a few day, go try a few weeks where you're plant-based at home and you're still omnivorous out. And then you know after that, make it so you're only omnivorous out on the weekends and, and so on and so on. These small steps to me, they give you a chance to learn the new habit. They give your body a chance to adapt. They let you learn how to handle things socially. Obviously, I'm speaking right now about going plant-based, but it could also apply to running, right? You don't have to go out and run a mile five times a week to become a runner or to become fit. You can start with two minutes a day and you're not going to get the progress in the first month. It's going to seem like you're really not going anywhere. But if you look a year down the road, I think the person who starts with two minutes a day is much more likely to be someone who has now run consistently throughout the whole year at increasing amounts, obviously, because progress is an important part of this. You can't just stagnate at two minutes a day, but, but starting small and having the patience to accept that you're not going to see physical results, but you are building this invisible habit in your head. I think that's probably the most important tip I have for wellness. So that that's my general one. A very specific small steps approach for me that I really like is to drink a smoothie and eat a big salad every single day. Uh, that's a pretty small step. It might be too big of a step for most people, 
uh, or not for most, for some people. And if you think that seems like a lot, if you find yourself struggling with even a couple of days of that, then just do one of those things. Just have the smoothie, just have the salad, do the oatmeal instead of the smoothie if you want. But those two meals to me, they help keep me on track because if I, if I kind of just mess up, if I go out and have whatever kind of vegan fast food I happen to have, if, if later I get back to have a salad, like it, it just kind of gets me back on track. So I like that as my small one. And then my very most specific habit, this is just something that has worked for me, paying attention to my sleep, like getting a sleep tracker. I'm not really into trackers and data and stuff like that, but I've realized in the past few months that paying attention to my sleep, it, it's one of those habits that I think of it as, as like an anchor habit. It sort of pulls everything else in the right direction, just like the smoothie and the salad. Like I said, um, I, once I started paying attention to my sleep, I started paying attention to how I ate and how I drank in the eve- in the hours before I'd go to bed. So suddenly there was there was this benefit. I started thinking, I started noticing that when I worked out in the day, I would sleep better. So then I have this extra reason to actually work out in the day. And so it's just one of those things. It's like a little game. And if I'm trying to maximize how well I sleep, it turns out that I'm also maximizing how well I am living throughout my day. So maybe sleep isn't it for everybody, but if you can find that anchor habit, uh, that one that just pulls you to make the right choices, uh, then then you know that 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 can be life changing. So it's been sleep for me, but but look for yours. Excellent. Thank you for that, both of you. Well, this is um, this is episode four hundred ninety three. Um, wow. so <laughs> congratulations. That's awesome. uh, so the, the show notes are going to be at 40 plus fitness podcast.com forward slash four, nine, three. But if you guys want me to send somebody somewhere and have links in the show notes for that, where would you like that to be? Uh, they can go to my sites at nomeatathlete.com. Robert, what's your site's domain? Veganbodybuilding.com. And we will have a, a dedicated book page at book.nomeatathlete.com. If they want to go there and see a bunch of, you know, endorsements and some more about what's in the book. Okay. Well, the book is called The Plant-Based Athlete, and uh, the subtitle in this is A Game-Changing Approach to Peak Performance. And I I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the book because, as I said, uh, I've always known that endurance athletes do very, very well with the uh, vegan diet, uh, plant-based diets. Uh, But this was kind of the first time I've seen how broad and how wide uh, the performance uh, improvements can be across all these different disciplines. And you've got the case studies in there. You've got the athletes themselves speaking to, to how they've done this and uh, crap, sharing their own recipes and how they eat in a given day. So you can't ask for much more than that. This is a great book, guys. Thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Awesome. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Appreciate the opportunity today. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan, what a fascinating interview, especially when you're talking about endurance athletes. That's kind of my thing, but the plant-based endurance athlete is pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I knew, you know, when it, when I started reading it and Matt is an endurance athlete and mm-hmm. of course, you know, some of the people that, a lot of the people they profiled, you know, the rich roles and, and those guys that are, you know, they're just diehard vegan athletes and they're endurance mm-hmm. athletes and you look at them and say, yeah, they, they look like vegans, um, <laughs> physically, but then, you know, it's power lifters and it's bodybuilders and it's all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, um, you can. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really kind of the magic of, of what I came away with all of this was you, you can be vegan. Mm-hmm. And be a bodybuilder. You can be vegan and eat keto. You can do those things. Now, is it the easiest way to do it? And the short mm-hmm. answer would be no. Yeah. Uh, and is it the optimal way to do it? And that I think the jury's still out because we just mm-hmm. don't have enough of them 
high enough up in a sport. Now, mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the uh, Game Changer documentary. It was on Netflix. It's probably still out there. Uh, and, you know, was, he basically said this is the way he's eating now. It's more vegetarian or vegan. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which one, but he's in that realm of a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. And he believes that's the way it should be. That's the way people should be eating. Now, would Arnold Schwarzenegger be Arnold Schwarzenegger if he had been a vegan when he was eight years old, 18 years old mm-hmm. or 17 years old when he was coming over to the United States at the very beginning. And I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that he could have accomplished what he accomplished being, being vegan or vegetarian. Now you can get your protein, but I mean, they're eating a ton of extra calories and fiber mm-hmm. to get that done, but it's doable. And I think that's what they've proved in their book. And, you know, what they might find is with, with what's happening with all of these, um, vegan and vegetarian athletes is, are they living longer? Because a lot of the, uh, you know, muscular athletes, really muscular athletes that you see, you know, offensive linemen in college football, or, I mean, in, in, in foot pro football, or you see the, the bodybuilders or the pro wrestlers, a lot of those folks and a lot of its lifestyle, it's not necessarily that they just put on so much muscle or what they did uh, or what they ate, but these athletes are trying to do this, not just for performance, but for longevity. And so that's their eating style is looking at it from a health and a performance perspective. They don't want to sacrifice the performance, they, but they want to make sure they're not arming their health. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see how, how these athletes fare, because it's, it's not uncommon for bodybuilders to, to die younger, um, oh. professional wrestlers, um, powerlifters, they get big hearts. Um, uh-huh. you know, they, they don't eat well, uh, huh. they pack on a ton of muscle and often fat, uh, in the off season. And so it's just, you know, they're, it's not bodybuilding and powerlifting and those, they're not healthy sports or not, you're not getting into that for health. And in a sense, a lot of times ultra marathoners are not getting into it for health. There's a, there's a, a limit. And if you just ran, you know, even if it was just like three miles a day or five Mm -hmm. miles a day, your body would be fine. You'd be healthy. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you push yourself too hard and I'm, you know, it's a thing Mm -hmm. is that you can push yourself past the point of health. And so that would be my only concern is, is Mm -hmm. if these athletes are still physically pushing themselves there, does this mitigate some of that health risk that they would have had if they were meat eaters? That's, that's the interesting question to ask. Yeah. Is, you know, all these plants that we tend to eat, um, salads and vegetables and all these legumes and and beans, they all have some nutrients in there in them that are so important for our day-to-day life and getting the right combination of them could very well support our endurance activities, whether it's running or biking or swimming or, or, uh, powerlifting, I can imagine, Um, But, you know, the one thing about diets that's really fascinating is that um, I look at at, I look at at it as a fueling strategy. You know, I I eat certain foods because they agree with me and they support what I'm going to do, athletically speaking. But, you know, people with a nut allergy, for example, no matter how great walnuts and pecans are for you, they can't simply eat them. So there must be an alternative for that person or somebody with a lactose issue or a gluten issue. You know, our bodies 
just because you want to eat something may not tolerate it well. And so the point is just to find what eating style works best for you. And, and I'm amazed by people like Scott Jurek and, and Rich Roll and some of the other endurance runners that can live on a vegan diet. Clearly that's working for them in some way or another. So yeah, I, I, and I read a lot of it. It's a trend right now, right in our running community. A lot of people are turning to more plant-based diets and there's something to it, obviously. Yeah. Well, and, and like we mentioned in the show, it's, it's nutritionally dense food. And so, mm-hmm. you know, getting your body, the, the, the vitamins and the minerals that you need, uh, that you might not be able to get from a, a full carnivore diet. Right. Um, so, you know, making sure you're doing that, but the, the end all be all, and, you know, I mentioned this a couple of times on there is the reason I think that vegans and vegetarians tend to do better health wise. Mm-hmm. And they say it over and over when they, they talk about their studies and their and it's in their books is they're eating whole food. Amen to that. <laughs> and <laughs> so, the, yeah. And they, they, so they equate, they equate eating omnivore as mm-hmm. a standard American diet. So mm-hmm. to them, it's, there's no difference. They don't look at red meat and, and processed meat and say it's any different. It's meat. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it, so they don't look at it different. If they're going to do a study about the health effects of meat. They're going to just say, do you eat these? Mm-hmm. And they're going to include the two together. Mm-hmm. Now you could come back and say, well, I only eat grass fed, grass finished beef, pastured chicken, pastured pork. And under these circumstances, um, but they don't, they, nobody breaks the science down to that level of detail. And, and even if they did, most of this is just what people say they're eating right? and not hard. necessarily what they're eating. So, yeah. you know, we, we've got these athletes now they're going through this process and if they stick with it for the long haul, because uh, there's a, there's a lot of vegans that fall off the wagon. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's a lot of people that go whole food, whole food that fall off the wagon. There's a lot of keto people that fall off the wagon. So, you know, if they stick with it, then we might come up with some stories, some, you know, of course it'd be anecdotal stories, but some stories that l- demonstrate that that way of eating is sustainable for the long term. Uh, it works for their performance. It works for their health and longevity, mm-hmm. um, because that's why they're, that's why they're doing it. They're doing it because they believe that's the healthiest way to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, for many of them, it's also an ethical concerns. Sure. Uh, but almost everybody that I've talked to, and particularly uh, with Robert and um, Matt, it was really about longevity and health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned whole foods. It's, I I think that's the essential key to this uh, part of the formula is whether you're eating a whole vegan type of food or a whole keto kind of food. The point is getting real foods, you know, Oreos, I guess are vegan, (laughs) but they certainly don't have any of the nutrition that you need on a daily basis. So, you know, just making sure that you're eating a a healthy, actual nutritious item and and not going to the chips and the pretzels and the cookies that just because they're vegan, it counts, I guess, but you know, you still need to eat the nutrients you need to eat. But the other point about diets that I'd like to bring up too, is that uh, sustainable is such a slippery slope of a word for me, because I just trained, for example, for a 50 mile race. What if I decide that I'm going to focus on a triathlon? Or what if I decide to do um, bodybuilding as my next big challenge? You know, then I will probably change the way I eat to address that activity. So um, 
you know, whether people stick to a vegan or a keto or any diet in between, you know, as long as it's supporting your health and your activities, then I would say go with what is working for you in that moment. You know, I don't, I don't get hung up on being sustainable, you know, being vegan to the end of the days or being keto for the end of days, you know, we go through these trends in life, you know, things happen. So eat how it best supports your health in that moment is, is my point. Yeah. Because in the end food, food serves like three purposes. Okay. First purpose is it's, it's nourishment and Mm -hmm. fuel for your body. Okay. Mm -hmm. Your body needs certain oils and, and, and fats. It needs certain amino acids. Um, in general, we tend to do a little better if there's some fiber involved, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those are kind of the bare requirements and then getting the vitamins and minerals that we need. That's our nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing about food is if you do it right, it's delicious. Yes. You know? <laughs> and, and so no, if you, if you eat Twinkies all the time, a strawberry isn't going to taste very sweet, Right. Uh, but a strawberry is actually very sweet as are carrots and tomatoes and beets. Um, you know, they're very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, even a sweet potato, I don't, you know, I, I can put cinnamon just flat on a sweet potato and eat it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to add sugar, which you go into a restaurant and you order a sweet potato, all their cinnamon is going to be mixed with sugar, pre-mixed. Mm-hmm. That's how they yep. get it. And I don't, I don't want the sugar. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I end up eating it plain. Uh, or we're just with butter, but uh, my my base point is is you should enjoy your food. So yes. you shouldn't be this. Oh, it's this horrible. I have to eat this five pound salad <laughs> <laughs> every day. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, that's not how how it should be. It, be. it should be enjoyable foods that you find appealing that are bringing all the different things, the textures and the tastes, and all the things that you like, and avoiding the textures and tastes that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final bit is we we use food for social things, for Mm -hmm. celebrations, for parties, for going out, for, you know, eating with somebody has a special meaning to us. I think some people go a little too far with that. And it's like, you know, okay, I got to have the cake and got to do this for this party. And we got to do that. And the food goes a little off the rails uh, for some of these celebrations. But that said, Sitting down and having a meal with someone you care about is an important part of life. Mm-hmm. Having those conversations over a dinner table with your family is an important part of life. And those are not moments to be missed out on because, you know, oh, they're, they're, they're eating pizza and I can't sit at the table while they're eating pizza because I might want a slice of pizza. So I'm going to eat in the other room. Mm-hmm. So I'm not tempted by the pizza. And it's like, well, one, you got to investigate your relationship with food. And then Mm -hmm. two, what is it intrinsically about the pizza that's the problem? Yeah. You know, and would having a piece of pizza actually ruin your life? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You know, as long as it agrees with you, I I always go back to allergies because I have them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as long as that pizza agrees with you and it's not going to start a cascading uh, way of terrible dieting and eating over the next few days, then enjoy it. Enjoy that family time. Enjoy that celebration or that birthday cake or whatever it is, um, as long as it agrees with you and, and just get back to it the next day. Yeah. And if you want to make it keto, just rake the cheese and meat over and, and vegetables over into your bowl and in your plate mm-hmm. and then toss the, toss the, um, 
crust into the dog's yeah. bowl. I mean, there it's... you go. <laughs> yep. Your dog will be happy. Yeah. Dog's happy. You're happy. You're <laughs> yeah. sitting with the family. Um, yeah. yeah. All good. Um, Absolutely. Well, all right, Rachel. Well, we'll talk next week then. Sounds great. Take care. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Sadi Raza and discuss COVID-19 health concerns besides COVID-19. Until then, have a happy and healthy week. <laughs>